Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, September 26. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, with Ian entering the Gulf, we talk to the National Weather Service about what to expect. Then, a Senate study group begins hearings tomorrow to develop new policies for maternal and infant health. Plus, recognizing the Mississippi Excellence in Teaching Program's 10th anniversary. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. It's been a quiet hurricane season for the Gulf Coast, but that could soon change. Over the weekend, Hurricane Ian formed in the Western Caribbean and is expected to enter the Southern Gulf as early as tomorrow. For more on this, Phil Grigsby of the National Weather Service in New Orleans is with us. Good morning, Phil. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. What do you know about Ian right now? What can you tell us? Uh, yeah, so Ian has strengthened into a hurricane um, overnight. Uh, it's a Category 1 hurricane now uh, with winds of 75 miles per hour, and it's moving northwest at 14 miles an hour um, and is expected to continue to strengthen as it approaches um, Cuba um, later today and into tonight. And it's forecast to become a major hurricane, a Category 3 hurricane at that time. Um, and the track forecast um, hasn't changed appreciably um, overnight. Uh, it still looks like uh, it's going to move into the Gulf of Mexico uh, by tomorrow afternoon and uh, still be a major hurricane and then approach the uh, west coast of Florida uh, somewhere um, between Fort Myers and the Big Bend um, as a major hurricane as we get into Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, so, you know, if you have any um, family members or friends or um, anybody you know that's along the coast there, definitely tell them to uh, get ready for uh, um, some significant impacts um, over the next, uh, say, 48 to 72 hours. Right now, we understand the Mississippi coast is outside of the cone of uncertainty. Going back to August 26 of 2005, when Katrina hit, we were on the edge of that cone it battered the Florida Keys, but within 12 hours, it changed course by 175 miles, and we know what followed. What is the probability that Ian could make that kind of shift? 
Uh, very, very, very low probability at this time. Um, there's a really strong cold front and um, trough of uh, lower pressure that's moving across the area. In fact, that's why we have the uh, the fall-like conditions across most of Mississippi this morning. Um, and that front is actually moving um, right along the Mississippi coast uh, currently at this time, and it's going to push offshore later today. Um, so that, that system is going to help to shift um, Ian towards Florida and away from us. Um, so we're, we're actually looking okay. We don't expect any shifts back to the west uh, with the system over the next uh, day or so. Should folks along the coast be on guard the next 36, 48 hours? Um, I mean, it's always good to monitor it, um, but uh, I think, uh, you know, at this point in time, we can we can all kind of breathe a sigh of relief over here um, on the on the Mississippi coast. Um, you know, the bigger thing um, that we're going to have to worry about uh, is if you are planning on doing any, um, you know, boating activities offshore or anything like that in the middle of the week, um, it's going to be pretty rough um, out there in the waters. Um, we're going to have large swells, um, basically large waves moving in. Um, so it's advised not to not to take your boat out um, as we get through like Wednesday through Friday timeframe because um, it is going to be some pretty rough conditions um, offshore, um, especially if you go out past uh, the islands, past Ship Island and stuff like that. Um, it's also going to be a little breezy. Um, you know, we're on the west side of the system. Um, it's going to be dry. We're not expecting any any significant issues, but we could have some wind gusts that maybe get up around 25 or 30 miles an hour at times, um, especially Thursday into Friday. Um, so a little bit breezy. Um, as, as we get into the latter part of the week. What about storm surges? Uh, we're not expecting any storm surge in our area. Um, the storm surge is going to be more over into Florida, um, and uh, the way the winds are, everything is going to be pushing the water offshore. So we'll actually have um, usually uh, unusually low tide levels um, along the coast, uh, the way it looks right now. Okay. Uh, can we expect, are we going to see more potential hurricanes between now and the end of the season, which I guess is in November? Uh, that's right, yeah. So the season ends November 30th, and, um, yeah, there's always going to be the prospect of having additional, um, you know, tropical storms and hurricanes develop um, throughout the, the rest of the season. Um, climatologically, for us, um, our threats typically begin to decrease as we get into the middle latter part of October, um, just because we have a lot more cold fronts that do move through. Um, that tends to protect us and shift storms more, more to the east or over into the uh, towards the eastern seaboard. Um, but there is always that prospect. Um, I mean, we all remember Hurricane Zeta um, in 2020 that came through in, in late October. So um, you know, there's there's always that risk, and everybody should continue to um, you know monitor the the tropics uh, over the next couple of months and keep those um, supplies that you got prepped. Um, you know, if, if you have that, just keep them in place. Um, you know, at least through the uh, through the end of the hurricane season. And and one last question: We're seeing these storms really form fast. Mm-hmm. Why is that happening now? Um, well, the um, conditions offshore um, in the Gulf of Mexico and in the Caribbean are, are very favorable for um, rapid intensification. Um, we've seen very very warm water temperatures. Um, we've seen um, conducive what we call upper-level wind patterns um, that allow the storms to, um, you know, organize and and really, really um, strengthen rapidly over a short period of time. Um, Now, that, that, I wouldn't, I'd hate to say that that's, um, you know, like directly related to any changes and like due to climate change or anything like that um, at this point in time, because we've seen rapid intensification 
um, multiple times over the course of the years. Um, you know, we, even like Hurricane Andrew um, back in like 1992 did this as well. So um, it's not it's not entirely unusual. And in fact, uh, typically the Caribbean um, and um, areas of the Western Atlantic and the Gulf of Mexico um, are the more favored areas for rapid intensification in the Atlantic Basin. So this is not this is not an unusual thing. Um, you just have to have all the ingredients come together at the same time, and that's what we are expecting with this. All right, Phil Grigsby of the National Weather Service in New Orleans, thank you so much. And we're hoping that we'll get through this hurricane season without a major hurricane. Thank you. Yes. All right. Everybody take care and have a good week. And you do the same now. Coming up, a Senate study group begins hearings tomorrow to develop new policies for maternal and infant health. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. A Senate study group will meet this week to discuss policy priorities focused on women, children, and families in Mississippi. The committee was formed by the lieutenant governor's office this summer following the Dobbs decision by the Supreme Court, ending Roe v. Wade. Republican Senator Nicole Boyd of Oxford chairs the committee and speaks with our Kobe Vance. They talk about the priorities and goals of the group. Our number one goal in the state should be that we have healthy mothers having healthy babies. And so we're going to do that by looking at the health care for mothers and infants. We're going to be looking at the feasibility of expanding um, postpartum care from six weeks to 12 months. We're going to be looking at the infant health care as well. Then we're also going to be able to look at the child care and workforce availability for mothers that want to get back into the workforce. We know that in Mississippi, 39% of the children born in the state are born to a household where there's no full-time working parent. And we know that that creates an economic crisis for those children um, and families that are born into those homes. So we want to make sure that we take a comprehensive um, look at the workforce issues pertaining to that. Um, Also, we're going to be looking at early intervention. We want to make sure that um, we are getting children that need extra assistance and extra help into those early intervention programs because this is going to affect their lifetime outcomes. We want to make sure that they're school ready. And so right now, um, we have less than 3% of um, children um, that are below age three, in early intervention. Statistically, we know that should look closer to 10%. So we want to see how that we create better outcomes um, in getting children enrolled in those programs. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Hoseman formed this study committee after the Dobbs decision came down from the, uh, the Supreme Court. And I wanted to get your thoughts on how important it's going to be in this upcoming legislative session in 2023 to make sure that this legislature is addressing issues around mothers and uh, children and overall just families in the state. I think that um, as legislators, we know the importance of the DOPS decision, and we are all 
um, want to make sure that we have policies and procedures in the state that really support those mothers um, and the children um, so that we are giving them um, every opportunity for success that we know we can. So all of my colleagues that I've talked to um, are very um, interested that we explore all these issues very comprehensively to see what changes that we need to make in our state um, so that it truly supports the culture of life. It's no secret that Mississippi has some pretty uh, poor reputations nationally when it comes to health outcomes for children and mothers. What do you think are going to be some of the most effective ways to, you know, help them get through that difficult time of uh, after after or during pregnancy and during birth and then after birth to make sure that both the mother and child can live a healthy life? So one of the particular policies I think we'll be exploring once again, um, and the Senate has been proponents of this for the last several years, is to expand postpartum care from six weeks to 12 months. We know that 36% of the mothers die after six weeks, leading us to have the highest maternal mortality rate in the country. Um, We know that having healthy mothers also creates healthy children. And so we want to make sure that as a state who, where there's a lot of high comorbidities among our population, that these mothers are getting the appropriate treatment that they need for um, high blood pressure, for diabetes, and a host of other issues. And we know that when those mothers are healthy, they are going to be able to take care of their children um, more effectively. And we know that those mothers then will also have the opportunity to go back to work and be able to provide for those children. So I think it's incredibly important that we first start out making sure that that mother is very healthy. And we can do that by extending postpartum care. During this most recent legislative session, the Senate passed a bill for extending postpartum Medicaids to 12 months, and that passed with a vote of 46 to 5. That's an overwhelming majority, uh, but it was never even taken up in the House. What do you think is going to have to happen this coming legislative session to begin having those conversations across the building? I think those conversations have already um, – we are already having those conversations right now. I think the hearings that we're doing um, with the Women, Children's, and Families Committee um, is opening the door to further those conversations. And also, I believe um, our Medicaid chairman is going to have additional hearings on this. So I think that you're, we are very much trying to open the door to uh, the House members to see if um, we can all take a look at this what we what the Senate feels is an incredibly important issue in making sure that um, that these mothers are healthy and are able to raise healthy children. And is there any way that Mississippians can get involved in this if they have concerns or they have policies they'd be interested in? Is there a way they can share feedback with you all uh, throughout this process in, in the next few months? Absolutely. So I would encourage um, anyone who's interested in this issue Um, They are able to, at 9 o'clock Tuesday morning, they will be able to um, access um, the Senate hearings. They're public, um, and they'll be live-streamed on YouTube. And then also, too, um, our committee has been eliciting comments um, from the public, and also they are either able to email those comments or submit them 
uh, through video testimony. And what are y'all's plans with those? Um, will y'all be considering those comments whenever y'all have these meetings? Um, absolutely. Um, our committee will be, um, all of those comments are, will be available to our committee, and we'll be looking um, at those comments through the, the uh, months leading up to the legislative session. So I would encourage anybody to um, get involved. If you have particular concerns or would like to make particular statements, please send us in your comments because we, um, we've we already begun receiving um, some of those comments, and they have led to a lot of great conversations and already have led to some rule changes that we think probably need to be um, implemented um, next session. So um, we would encourage and welcome the public's participation. Senator Nicole Boyd is going to be heading the Study Committee on Women, Children, and Families. Uh, Senator Boyd, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you. Coming up, a Mississippi teacher prep program marks its 10th year. We talk to a 2019 graduate. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. When you look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877-MPB-4CAR. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. For a decade now, the Mississippi Excellence in Teaching program has been producing teachers who have served all over the state. The collaboration between Mississippi State University and the University of Mississippi marked its 10th anniversary last week. Students in the program commit to teaching in the state for at least five years after graduation. 2019 alumna Emily Reeves currently teaches English at Pearl High School in Pearl. She shares more on the program and her career as an educator with MPB's Lacey Anderson. Just being able to study with people who were in the same program as me, who kind of understood what we were going through, um, the College of Education at Mississippi State obviously holds everybody to a really high standard, but the MTP kids, as we called ourselves, um, we really put a lot of that on ourselves as well um, because we were representatives not only for the college, but also the program and the Heron Foundation by extension. And so um, some of our, our my, my fondest memories were hanging out with the people who were actually in my cohort and being able to build those those relationships with each other. Of course, we did the study abroad. I'm sure if you talk to any other METP person that they said that. Um, the, the study abroad was fun and everything, but I really enjoyed the small group setting that I had with, with the people in my group. Gotcha. And you may not know the answer to this, but people that were in your cohort, can you give me some examples of where they went to teach after graduating? Uh, so obviously everybody in METP has to teach a public school at, for five years after graduating um, in order to be relieved of the loan that, that we technically have. Um, most of my colleagues are in the Rankin County area, and that is because most of us are from the Rankin County area. 
so we went back to our hometowns in order to serve the people um, and the families that we grew up around. Uh, but we had a handful of people from the coast, and of course they went back to the coast. But everybody who was from the state of Mississippi went to teach in the area they grew up in. Um, if they were out of state and went through the METP program, they went to places where people in our cohort were. That way we knew that we would know somebody to work with. Cool. And do you still stay in touch with these guys that you graduated with? Yes, I actually uh, went to a professional soccer game with a couple of them a couple weeks ago. Um, But that's one of the cool benefits of METP is we work with each other. I know a few of us are going through national boards right now. And so we'll talk about that and we'll we'll share lesson plans and ideas, what's worked, what hasn't worked. And they're they're still, even though we're not in college anymore, um, they might not be college friend soundboards, but they're now colleague soundboards. I know I personally work with three other METPs at Pearl High School. Uh, So it's cool for us all to be able to talk with each other and um, use each other as references and just support. Wow. Okay. So three, you said three cohort members that are also at Pearl? I, yes, I have, there are four people who graduated from the METP program. I am the oldest. Um, I will, I will take that badge of honor. Um, But I have three new coworkers who just graduated who graduated from the METP program who are here with me now. I understand. So we have four total. Yeah. Wow. Okay. But they were not in your class. They were not. They were not. They they jokingly called me a mentor at one point, and I said, I think that this is you guys trying to date me, and I'm not really sure how I feel that you call me old. Oh, oh my goodness. Um, one of the things that I talked about, I talked to uh, the director at the University of Mississippi's METP program, yeah. and one of the things that she talked about was the sense of community that the METP cohorts carry on with them after they graduate. And it sounds like you have certainly um, maintained that as well. How else has going through METP helped your teaching career? Going through METP has also helped my teaching career because it, I mean, at, at the Mississippi, at Mississippi State, it's the motto of the College of Ed is uh, changing tomorrow through education today. And for us, we really abide by that mantra because with our group in particular, and even with the Ole Miss crew, it's really become where we can talk not only to people who were in the program, but also program directors, the teachers we had. I know we had a job opening a couple years ago, and I even reached out not only to the Mississippi State group, but the Ole Miss group as well, and talked with them about anybody they might have coming out of the program because my boss will always come up to me if, if there is going to be an opening or if he has a friend with an opening and say, who, who do your people have who they recommend? Um, because he wants an METP person or his friends want METP people in these positions and these vacancies that they have. And so for us, it's being able to talk amongst ourselves, but it's also still having that, that place to go home to, which is anybody associated with that program. So sure, it's us, the students who went through, but it's also the people who are our mentors, who are our guides, who became our friends, and again, our professional colleagues now that we're out in the workforce. And when you complete your five-year requirement, do you plan on staying in Mississippi? Oh, absolutely. I I am from Mississippi. I'm a believer in Mississippi. Um, I do understand that Mississippi has an issue with brain drain, and I I would love to be part of the solution. And 
being a teacher in the state of Mississippi, I hope I can be that for my students too and to encourage them to stay here as well. Um, so I, I, myself and a bunch of my colleagues plan on staying. Um, that's why I got my master's and when I got it in because I, I want to stay in secondary ed. So we're, we're, all, we're all very dedicated to our state and making it better than, than how we found it. I love that. One last question for you. It is METP's 10-year anniversary. In your opinion, why has the program lasted an entire decade? I think there are a couple of reasons why the program has lasted, but I, I think the most important reason why it has lasted is because not only the program, but also the people who donate to the program and, and help keep the program running are invested in young people in the state of Mississippi. Um, there would be no tomorrow for Mississippi if it was not for the people who are coming uh, in the next days and weeks and years to come. And I think that it's it's very we take a sense of pride knowing that somebody is investing in us and so we want to turn around and be able to do that as well i know i have a few students who are applying for the metp um, scholarship this year who i've taught and it's it's crazy to, to see that they're wanting to be invested as well so i think the main reason why metp is still around 10 years later is because knowing that somebody cares enough about you to provide you with a scholarship of this magnitude says my job is important. Somebody sees that it's important and it gives you that, that hope to keep going to, to even come into a field that it's so hard to have. I get a little emotional talking about it, but teaching is a thankless job and to know that somebody is willing to say thank you before you ever get into it means the world. And so we're definitely very grateful for the program, for the people in the program, for the sponsors and the donors to the program, um, because we, we couldn't we couldn't have change without them. That was MPB's Lacey Alexander with Emily Reeves, a 2019 graduate of the Mississippi Excellence in Teaching Program and an English teacher at Pearl High School in Pearl. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.